Chapter 30 of Discourses on the First Decade of Titus Livius, Book 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jennifer Painter. Discourses on the First Decade of Titus Livius, Book 1, by Niccolo Machiavelli. Translated by Ninian Hill Thompson. Chapter 30. How Princes and Commonwealths May Avoid the Vice of Ingratitude, and How a Captain or Citizen May Escape Being Undone by It. That he may not be tormented by suspicion, nor show ungrateful, a prince should go himself on his wars, as the Roman emperors did at first, as the Turk does now, and, in short, as all valiant princes have done and do. For when it is the prince himself who conquers, the glory and the gain are all his own. But when he is absent, since the glory is another's, it will seem to the prince that he profits nothing by the gain, unless that glory be quenched which he knew not how to win for himself. And when he thus becomes ungrateful and unjust, doubtless his loss is greater than his gain to the prince therefore who either through indolence or from want of foresight sends forth a captain to conduct his wars while he himself remains inactive at home i have no advice to offer which he does not already know but i would counsel the captain whom he sends since i am sure that he can never escape the attacks of ingratitude to follow one or other of two courses, and either quit his command at once after a victory, and place himself in the hands of his prince, while carefully abstaining from every vainglorious or ambitious act, so that the prince, being relieved from all suspicion, may be disposed to reward, or at any rate not to injure him. Or else, should he think it inexpedient for him to act in this way, to take boldly the contrary course, and fearlessly to follow out all such measures as he thinks will secure for himself, and not for his prince, whatever he has gained, conciliating the goodwill of his soldiers and fellow-citizens, forming new friendships with neighbouring potentates, placing his own adherents in fortified towns, corrupting the chief officers of his army, and getting rid of those whom he fails to corrupt, and by all similar means endeavouring to punish his master for the ingratitude which he looks for at his hands. These are the only two courses open, but since, as I said before, men know not how to be wholly good or wholly bad, it will never happen that after a victory a captain will quit his army and conduct himself modestly, nor yet that he will venture to use those hardy methods which have in them some strain of greatness. And so, remaining undecided, he will be crushed while he still wavers and doubts. A commonwealth desiring to avoid the vice of ingratitude is, as compared with a prince, at this disadvantage that while a prince can go himself on his expeditions, 
the Commonwealth must send some one of its citizens. As a remedy, I would recommend that course being adopted which was followed by the Roman Republic in order to be less ungrateful than others, having its origin in the nature of the Roman government. For the whole city, nobles and commons alike, taking part in her wars, there were always found in Rome, at every stage of her history, so many valiant and successful soldiers, that by reason of their number, and from one acting as a check upon another, the nation had never ground to be jealous of any one man among them, while they, on their part, lived uprightly, and were careful to betray no sign of ambition, nor give the people the least cause to distrust them as ambitious, so that he obtained most glory from his dictatorship, who was first to lay it down. Which conduct, as it excited no suspicion, could occasion no ingratitude. We see, then, that the Commonwealth, which would have no cause to be ungrateful, must act as Rome did, and that the citizen who would escape ingratitude must observe those precautions which were observed by Roman citizens. End of chapter 30